0: You know if your Bible is Acts 17, Acts 17:26. 26, I know some of you are shocked, and that is because if you got some notes off the welcome table out there, you realize that we are stepping out of the Gospel of Matthew and our study there to go into a topical series. Uh, and so the key text is Acts 17, 26, but as you look at the notes and as you'll follow along, there's a trem- tremendous amount of scripture as we'll be looking at passages all throughout the Bible. And... Uh, Hopefully, you'll be able to follow along and take notes and uh, really pay attention today. We're going to be beginning a series today on uh, social justice, and I've entitled this series A Biblical Response to Social Justice. And um, I have wanted to avoid this topic as I've been aware of some of the things we're going to be talking about over the next weeks. I don't know how long it'll go, we'll see. Uh, For about three years now, I've been aware of the challenges that are coming, not just in our culture and in our nation, but also in uh, what I call reformed evangelicalism. Not my term, but uh, others that use that. And uh, I have not uh, agreed or not addressed it head on. It sometimes shows up in application. You'll hear some uh, pieces of that showing up in different ways, but I've avoided what I'm going to begin today Uh, First of all, because I didn't want to ride a hobby horse. Uh, I just talked to Tracy and you realize that there are times when watching the news or in reading things or being online and articles and blogs and podcasts that uh, I will spend much time uh, just talking about all the things I have a problem with in the world. And uh, I am prone to doing that and I try to do all I can to stay away from that when I preach and stay to the word and let the word (laughs) guide me uh, so that you don't just get uh, sermons on everything that's bugging me or uh, getting my juices flowing every week. I also didn't want to address these things because I wasn't sure if the vast majority of you were aware of them. I didn't want to talk about something that most of you had no idea of and just felt like, why is he talking about this? But at the time, at this time, right now, you would have to be living in a cave somewhere uh, to not be aware of the current hyper-focus on social issues, especially the issue we're going to start addressing today of race. And uh, even here in Owasso, we're touched by this, there's been two Black Lives Matter uh, rallies and marches in our little town, and uh, other things going on that uh, are, are, are coming from uh, these very topics. And so uh, they're not just things out there, they're not just things on the news, they're things that, that address us right where we live. Also, it, most of you should be aware that topical preaching is not my normal method of preaching, and uh, we usually go through books of the Bible, uh, section by section. Uh, Exegetical, ex- expositional preaching is what I believe to be the best form of preaching. But there are times when necessity, uh, I believe, leads us to do otherwise, and, and I think it's necessary at this time. And uh, that's because I believe this topic has become unavoidable. Not because necessarily of what is happening in our culture, that we've already talked about that, but because of what is happening and what I talked about in Reformed evangelicalism. Some of those who have most shaped my practical theology and ministry philosophy have gotten off track, especially on this issue. So men whose books I have promoted, men whose books we've read and used as foundational material for Sunday school classes, for Sunday night services, have gotten off track in these very issues. And... Uh, this has been building for some time. At different times, I have read an article or listened to a podcast or heard a message at conferences I've attended and in conferences I would normally have attended. And I have been grieved, even to the point of, of tears. And uh, that doesn't happen very often when I'm listening to a sermon. Not grieved because I was convicted, but grieved because of the message that was preached and how far off it was from the scripture by men I have trusted and men I have listened to. And, and uh, where this came to a head... Uh, probably about two months ago, and I've been preparing since then because I wasn't ready to do this and, and trying to get ready, As I received in my inbox the Wednesday word from Paul Tripp. And if any of you are reading Paul Tripp's weekly blog or receive anything from him, he's someone I have highly respected and highly followed in the area of uh, practical theology and counseling and, and church ministry. I received a, a blog post from him, a 17-minute video on racial justice, and watching that video, I grieved uh, tremendously. And I realized that many of you, I have promoted his books and promoted his stuff, the blog and his website uh, for years. And if any of you were to get that and to listen to him and think that he is correct on this, I would be an heir as someone who has given you that man as someone to listen to. I'd be an heir and not warning you that on this topic, he is far off from scripture. And it is a sad day for me to say that. If it was just Paul Tripp, maybe I would be okay, but also two men uh, from Nine Marks Ministries, Mark Dever and Jonathan Lehman, whose books and articles and interviews have begun to be interlaced with these topics and wrong on these topics. So even in missions class, and I've given deacons books to read by Mark Dever and by Nine Marks Ministries, and, uh, and they're off on this topic. And if we're not aware of that, we can just begin to digest from them. Also, recently, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I began doing a video series, my midweek devotional. And uh, you, you guys used to watch that, but no one does anymore. But uh, <laughs> we were going through Psalms, and uh, we were going through Psalms of Lament. And I recommended a book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, by Pastor Mark Vrogop. And uh, on this issue, you cannot trust him. And if you read that book, you will see almost every chapter interlaced with racial ideas and racial application to lament. In his church right now in Indianapolis, he has an assistant pastor of discipleship and diversity. And Jonathan Lehman, who I just mentioned, interviewed him on Pastors Talk podcast, and they spent 45 minutes talking about how you can have racial diversity, how you can have racial reconciliation, how churches can come together at these deep and dark times. And I listen to that, and I, and I grieve. Also, Tim Keller and the Gospel Coalition. Many of you for years maybe have read articles from the Gospel Coalition they become more and more interlaced with social justice issues and far afield from the scripture. And Tim Keller, who is the, uh, the one behind the New City Catechism that we will be using on Wednesday nights, has gone off on this issue, gone afra- af- afield from the scripture. We will continue to use this catechism, but we will do so, uh, not because it's his catechism, um, but because it's, it comes from two other catechisms, but we will watch where the commentary comes from to watch on this issue. So usually I don't drop names in my sermons unless I'm quoting somebody, but I want you to hear this because it is is going in many places, in people that I have trusted, I have recommended to you, and I'm telling you, on these issues, you must be hyper-vigilant. I need to protect you as your shepherd. I need to warn you of false teaching and the danger of false teachers. I'm not calling these men uh, unbelievers. I'm not saying they're not Christians. Uh, I'm not saying uh, that they are heretics in the sense of that they've abandoned the true gospel, of true faith. But on this issue, they are teaching false teaching. And they are in that case, in those cases, are false teachers. So I'm not necessarily primarily concerned with our nation or politics. I'm most concerned with the church. I'm most concerned with this church as a church that God has given me uh, leadership and authority over. Politics is downstream from culture, and culture is downstream from worship. And if the church doesn't maintain the true worship of the one true God, centered on the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, preaching the one true gospel that is our one true hope, then the church will have nothing to offer to our culture and no prophetic message for politics and government. If we don't get this right, no one will. And if we as a church do not understand what the Bible says on these topics, then we will have nothing to offer, and we will just follow along, usually two or three steps behind the cultural momentum. We're just a little bit downstream. And if we don't get out of the river, we'll be swept along with everyone else. And as our nation and as our culture continues to go a certain way, we will just be behind it we, because we'll have no understanding of how to address it. Only when we rightly understand the truth can we have any positive impact on society. So what we must do, what you must do is read and listen with tremendous discernment and caution. Anyone who talks about anything racial must be carefully scrutinized. Anyone who talks about anything racial must be carefully scrutinized, especially on that topic. And I'm talking about in the church and outside the church, but it's primarily my focus is in the church. We never could take anyone's orthodoxy for granted. Yet it is easy to simply trust and take in. Pastor said this preacher was good. Pastor said this book was good. Pastor said their organization was trustworthy. And so I'm just going to buy and read and take in as if there is no discernment necessary. And I'm telling you that on the very people I have recommended to you in this area, in this topic, discernment is absolutely crucial. So if you're not aware of the things we're going to be talking about, if you're blissfully ignorant, get with it. And understand it because it will impact you. If it isn't impacting you in other ways, it will impact your children. It will impact your grandchildren. And some of the things we're talking about, you need to be prepared for because Thanksgiving is coming. And they might sit around your table or you might sit around their table. And they might start bringing these very topics up, even as Christians attending other good churches or from this church as well. Now, I don't want you to take what anyone says for granted or trust anyone what they say, including the very person speaking to you this morning. So if you don't take what I say with a couple grains of salt and check what the Scripture says to make sure that I'm accurate, then you're missing the whole point. (laughs) If you're just going to accept what someone gives you and just take it in, then you're in trouble. Examine the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Quickly, I want to give you a definition of social justice. Now, one of the reasons I handed out these gigantic notes today is because you're not going to be able to write everything down. And also, we're not having communion today because I have a feeling, I don't know how I have this feeling, we're going to go longer than normal. And so if you have to leave for any reason or you just get worn out and say, I'll I'll listen to this on the video or catch the sermon the rest of it later, I understand. It gets hard sitting and listening to someone talk for so long. And so if there's just me and my family left at the end of this, that's okay. We'll hang in there. And, uh, but hopefully you'll be able to hang through this. <laughs> and if I go quickly, as I am prone to do, and talk very rapidly, there are videos on our website. There's videos on Facebook. Go back and listen. Take notes. Take it in. There's a lot of material I'm going to be covering quickly. And if you think I'm get, you're getting lost... Just pick up wherever you get lost and stay with me and go back over it. Numerous times if you need to, because this is important. What is social justice? So this whole series, what is it dealing with? Um, and I'm looking off of Wikipedia, not because it's always accurate, because it, but because it gives an accurate rendition of what the world is thinking. All right? Wikipedia says this about social justice. Justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. Social justice assigns rights and duties in the institutions of society, which enables people to receive the basic benefits and burdens of cooperation. The relevant institutions often include taxation, social insurance, public health, public school, public services, labor law, and regulation of markets to ensure fair distribution of wealth and equal opportunity. All of that is social justice. I gave you the basic definition. You're like, where's the rest of it? Look up Wikipedia, you'll get the rest of it. Now, in the area of social justice, why am I beginning this morning with race? Because it is the aspect of social justice that is receiving the greatest focus at this current time, especially in the evangelical church. But it's all over the place. Issues of race. So before we go any farther, I need to pray. Father, help me speak the truth Help the listeners to follow and search the scriptures. Help them to do the diligent work necessary to understand if these things are so, that we would be Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-living Christians in every area of our lives. We need your spirit to do this work in us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. My theme this morning is a long one. Testing everything by the one true standard of the scripture. We must reject unbiblical terms and categories and develop the habit of using biblical terms and categories as we seek biblical solutions to age old human problems. We must reject unbiblical terms and categories, develop the habit of using biblical terms and categories as we seek biblical solutions to problems in our lives and in our culture and in our nation and in our world. What's the key term in all that theme? Biblical. You better be biblical and you better understand what the Bible says on every topic, or you are prone in every instance to be swept away by the currents of culture. We will never find ultimate and eternal solutions by framing the discussion in temporary and man made terms and categories. We must go to God's eternal word for the eternal truth that gives us God's eternal answers to any situation we face. So, if we're going to talk about race, we must define our terms. What is race? Well, for 400 years, it meant, first of all, common descent, species. So for 400 years, people talked about race as one human race. We are all of the human race. And sometimes you'll still hear people say that today. But it also became declassified with one nation or one ethnic group. So we have the German race. We have the English race. We have other races, and that began to be used talking about not just the human race as a whole, but ethnic groups within it. In the mid-19th century, there was a new definition developed. It grew uh, through the 18th century into the 19th century, and this is the second definition. A classification of humans based on various physical characteristics, that's important, that is vitally important, physical characteristics, especially skin color, facial form, and eye shape. So skull size, jaw shape, and then skin color, things you could see outwardly, began to be the scientific focus. Sometimes you will see this as a scientific understanding of race, very science-based. That is not the definition that most people are using today, especially in in, uh, uh, academic elitism in the news. Today, race is best understood in the third definition, a socially constructed category of identification based on Again, we have the same similarity here, physical characteristics, but socially constructed is the key word here. So ancestry, historical affiliation, or shared culture. Many people identify, and you could also put self-identify, but I'm getting this from dictionary.com, so I left their definition as they put it. Many people identify as a member of a particular race based on one or more of the preceding factors, and doing so helps members of, listen carefully, oppressed groups to form communities socially constructed. That's typically how most people are using the term today. So for 400 years we used one term. For about 150 years we used a different term and now we're using it differently and if you don't understand the different uses of that word you might be using it in one of the older definitions and thinking the person talking to you is using an older definition when they're not. And the confusion of definitions is important which is why I put them on the paper and put them on the screen so you can know what we're talking about. Ethnicity. What is ethnicity? We'll be talking about that a lot today. Ethnicity is an ethnic group. There, there you go. Did I not put that in there? I'm sorry. Ethnicity is an ethnic group, a social group that shares a common and distinctive culture, religion, language, or the like. A social group, ethnic group, common and distinctive culture, religion, language. What is culture? So if we have a common culture, what is that? Culture is the customs, beliefs, and behaviors, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Sometimes we use the word civilization to talk about culture. So some of you grew up taking a specific class in either high school or college, and what was it called? Western Civ. Civ standing for civilization. Versus as opposed to Eastern civilization, or Greek civilization, or Roman civilization, or some other kind of civilization. That term is sometimes synonymous for culture. Now, we want to start with the Bible. And we're going to end with the Bible with a little bit of no Bible in between. So hang with me. First of all, race is unbiblical. Race is unbiblical. The term race is never found in the Bible. But neither is the concept. You can read your Bible from... Cover to cover, you will not find the word in English race, but neither will you find the concept of race as given in the second and third definitions. The Bible never, listen carefully, never classifies people on the basis of physical characteristics. How does the Bible classify people? What are the biblical distinctions? Let me give those to you, and we will move rather quickly. The scriptures on the screen, but I also put the scriptures in your notes for further study. Fundamental distinctions are this, Acts 17, 26. If you're there, you can look in your Bible as I read it. And he, that is God, the creator God, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. The first fundamental distinction is that there is only one mankind. There's only one mankind. From one man. Who is that one man? One man. Adam, from one man comes every nation of mankind. Every person is a descendant of Adam. Every human being has descended from one common source. Even Eve came from Adam. Very important to see that. When God created Eve, he took a rib from Adam. Therefore, from Adam comes everyone, including Eve. We all have a common origin. Then secondly, every person from every ethnicity came from one man. Every ethnicity came from one man. From one man comes every nation. The word nation in Acts 17.26 is the Greek word ethnos. Where did we get our word ethnicity? From ethnos. One man, all groups of people. Go back to my definition of ethnicity. So how did we get from one man to all the nations of the earth? How did we get such apparently different people from one source, from one man? I'm going to give you a quick overview of the biblical narrative. In Genesis, one man becomes one family as God takes a rib from Adam and creates Eve, and they become one flesh in marriage, Genesis chapter 2. Then God blessed that marriage with children, Genesis 4. And until the flood, you can read all about that one family, Adam's family and chapter 5, his descendants. You get the genealogy of Adam and all his descendants. All people came from one man and one family, and they were all right there together. Then all mankind was judged with the flood. Because of mankind's wickedness and sin, God judged mankind with the worldwide flood and destroyed all of mankind except for one Family Noah, his wife, Noah's three sons, and their three wives. Each son had one wife. Mankind is now, again, one extended family, and the Bible follows that one family and their descendants all the way to Genesis 10, where we are now introduced in Genesis 10 to two new groups. So we have families, but all these families are in one descendant line of families. And then we are introduced in Genesis 10 repeatedly to clans and nations. From each of Noah's three sons comes clams, clams, (laughs) okay, I'll slow down, clans and nations. And they might have eaten clams as clans, but I don't know, I wasn't there. We need some lightheartedness in all this, right? Clans and nations. So you can see that in point three. Ethnic distinctions are introduced as families grow into clans that grow into nations that inhabit distinct lands and speak a distinct language. First example, Genesis 10 verse 5. From these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. What spread? Families spread. And so each son of Noah, has that said about them throughout their descendant, the genealogies of chapter 10. Study that out. Uh, Verse 5, verse 20, verse 31, and verse 32. So nations are made up of clans that are made up of families, and they were distinguished from each other in the lands they inhabited and the language they spoke. That's very important. We have ethnic groups showing up. Common language, common land, common family descent, and we're all together in our own place. How did we get to these languages? Most of you are familiar with Genesis chapter 11. What happens in Genesis 11? Tower of Babel. Babel. The word Babel is where we get our word Babel from, and we say Babel when we don't understand people's languages. And so God judged the pride of all of these people, these families that were together, They built the Tower of Babel, and God judged them by doing what? Dispersing them out over the earth in clans and nations. And he did that by giving them multiple languages and dispersing them. That's how they began to do what God had commanded Adam and Noah and all of his people to fill the earth and subdue it. But they weren't doing that. They weren't filling the earth. They were all hanging out together doing great and mighty things together. And God said, enough of that. I'm going to disperse them. And he dispersed them by giving them different languages. And when people have different languages, they don't hang together very much. And they dispersed and they went to different places in the world. And that's where we get the different ethnicities, different languages, different lands, common descendant with different families. Are you with me so far? If not, uh, reset. Here we go. God divides mankind. God gives us ethnicities. Whose idea was it for different languages? Whose idea was it for different lands? Whose idea was it for different kinds of people? But notice the differences. Land, language, descendants. Any physical characteristics so far? Therefore, anyone who wants to tell you that the curse of Ham is the curse of dark skin doesn't understand their Bible whatsoever. If you want to read more, or learn more about that, talk to me later. But that's a wrong view of seeing the curse of Ham as a physical characteristic and the curse that God, when God marked him. There's no biblical foundation for that whatsoever. And it has been abused in sinful ways. So we have common descendants, common language, and a common land. That leads us to, secondly, our second overall distinctive. It's the Old Testament distinction of Jew and Gentile. And that shows up in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred. What do we have? We have a land and we have a family. We have an ethnic group. And your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God calls Abram, we usually call him Abraham, from one of these nations that have already developed, the Chaldean nation. and He promises Abram to make of him a separate great nation. And so from Abram, we then have Isaac and then Jacob and Esau. But Esau is not of the land of promise, not of the covenant people. And from Jacob, renamed Israel, what do we have? Twelve tribes. You can call them clans if you would like. Twelve tribes of people. All twelve sons following the line lineage of Abraham. And from that group, God makes one nation. All descendants of Abraham, all speaking the same language, which is Hebrew, and all inheriting the promised land of Canaan. So at this point in Genesis 12, God divides the world into the descendants of Abraham, we call Jews, God's old covenant people, and everyone else, Gentiles. But you won't hear or see the word or read the word Gentile until you get to the New Testament. But throughout the entire Old Testament, including the ceremonial law and all of the things that God tells Israel in Exodus through Deuteronomy and the the way that God works throughout the whole Old Testament, you see the distinct divide. The people of Abraham and the nations. The people of Abraham and every other ethnicity and every other group of people and every other land with every other language. What is interesting about what God's people are Uh, And we'll look more about that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Then we are led to, in the New Testament, the New Testament distinction. The church and the world. And there's not one verse that lays this out as clearly as I'd like it to be. So just read the entire New Testament and you'll see it. Just read Matthew chapter 1 through 12 and you'll see it how many times? Those who are inside, those who are outside. Those who are on this path and those who are on that path those who are disciples of Christ and those who aren't. Two groups, the church and the world. God's covenant, new, new covenant people, the church, and everyone else. What is so unique about this is that God has given, notice carefully, God has given ethnic distinctiveness by the families, clans, and tribes that we are related to and the lands and languages that we shared uniquely. Yet the greatest distinction biblically is between God's covenant people and everyone else. In the Old Covenant, God's people, the Jews. They were a mono-ethnic people made up of 12 tribes forming one nation with one language in one land. But that changes in the New Covenant, doesn't it? Now the New Covenant and the gospel doesn't go to just one ethnic people in one nation and one tribe, one land. It goes to all the world. And so God's new covenant people are different than God's old covenant people. We'll see more of that as we dig into point three. Have we seen physical characteristics anywhere yet in Scripture? Any time that we look at physical characteristics to separate us, not at all. So let me go to the non-biblical portion of the message. Race is a social construct. Race, the way it's being used today, is a social construct. The first definition was good, but only as it was used as a synonym for ethnicity. Ethnicity is a God-given distinction. And so when we use race as a synonym for ethnicity, it's okay. Or if we use it as talking about species, pointing to the fact that all people are of the same human race, that's okay as well. You understand that we got into a scientific term, which is not a biblical term. Species. And so when we move away from the scripture, we can get all kinds of terms, and we have to be very careful about that. The second definition was a man-made distinction that was propagated by some of the most well-known and popular scientists of the 17th through 19th centuries, but today has been soundly rejected as junk science. Just Google this phrase, scientific basis of race, and see what even secular scientists who fully embrace evolution in theory, evolutionary theory have to say. So here's one example or a couple of examples. From the National Geographic magazine, April 2018. Here's the heading: There is no scientific basis for race. Newsweek magazine, uh, November 8th, 2014. There is no such thing as race. March 13th, 2020, from, I never heard of this magazine, I just Googled, and this is what I saw, Sapiens Anthropology Magazine. Very scientific. Race is real, but it's not genetic. If race is real, but it has nothing to do with genetics, what does it have to do with? A social construct. However we identify race, however we make race to be, that comes from a scientific magazine, which says... There is no science to race the way it's used in the third definition. We're just making it up as we go. For over 300 years, socially defined notions of race have shaped human lives around the globe, but the category has no biological foundation. If you think people are speaking scientifically and talking about genetics and biology when they use the word race, you are sadly mistaken. You're using definition number two, and you are out of the loop. I just want you to hear carefully as a side note. Some of the best known philosophers and scientists for 300 years 150 years to 300 years believed that second definition to be true. That the size of your skull the color of your skin, the shape of your jaw all of those things determined your race and determined which race is superior or inferior to other races. And that was science. Science. So before you start believing everything science has to say, you better realize that if you had just read your Bible for 150 to 300 years, you know what you could have said to science? You're wrong. And now they figured out that they were wrong, but we knew it as biblical Christians all along. Don't follow science, ultimately, or first of all, but always take your science and run it through the grid of the biblical teaching, and it would have saved the world a lot of problems. Why? Because letter A, race as a biological genetic theory developed into a tool to promote racism. Second definition was developed, it didn't start this way, but it developed quickly into a tool to promote racism. The focus on physical differences evolved into a ranking of superiority and inferiority of groups represented solely by physical differences. It developed alongside the scientific theory of polygenism that believed that each race had a different origin. Typically, five races around the globe, and each one came from five different origins. If we know our Bible, we know that is false. It's false. The Bible's clear. But Christians have bought into the second definition without realizing both the foundation of it and and the wrongness of it biologically, but more importantly, the wrongness of it theologically, which is ultimate. This view influenced the support of slavery in America and the Holocaust in Germany and apartheid in South Africa. Just look at people. Can't you tell they're different? And because they're different, can't you tell who's more superior? Let's just get a few scientists to tell you that this this qualification physically says people are superior and others are inferior. So what has happened today? Well, quoting from another great source, dictionary.com, to fully define racism, we have to define race. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Throughout history, the word race has commonly been used to refer to classification of humans based on various physical characteristics, especially skin color, facial form, and eye shape. Although the obsession with the difference in people's skin color is one of the foundations of racism, skin color is in fact not even a reliable indicator of how genetically different or similar people are. Because skin color is defined by how much melanin you have in your skin And that comes about in ways that we don't quite fully understand yet. And so you can come from the same family and look very different in skin color and shades of darker skin or lighter skin. But that has been used to promote inferiority, superiority, hate, anger, violence around the world for hundreds of years. And you can look up the term scientific racism and see how that works out in history. Secondly, race as a cultural construct is used as a weapon to divide. The third definition is used as a weapon to divide. Culturally constructed, um, uh, definite, and I didn't go with the definition, but it's on your page of, so, of, of social, uh, social construct, what that is. Social construct is when people just decide uh, this is what we believe, and this is how we identify, and we just agree that this is what race is. Does it have to have any biological foundation? No. Does that have any theological uh, foundation? No. As long as we all agree, we can just construct anything we want. Let me give you one example of how that works. If we all disagree that biological distinctions at birth between male and female genders have no bearing on whether you're a man or a woman, as long as we can all just agree that how you were born and how God created you to be with the very different physical characteristics from every cell to every outworking of it is not really determinative of anything. We can just determine who's a man and who's a woman on something else. That's social construct. So... Take that as an extra bonus. Now we're going two minutes longer than we already were going to go. Now, the third definition leads to division. Color blindness used to be the professed goal of civil rights. Some of you are old enough to remember the 1960s. Do some of you remember that? Chad says, no, I'm so old I forgot it. But Marianne, she remembers the 1960s. Remembers the uh, civil rights issue. Color blindness used to be the goal Remember the famous uh, speech by Martin Luther King Jr.? I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That was what civil rights used to be about, or at least professed to be about. Now the anti-racism group is seeking to make everything a color issue. We thought it was color blindness that was wanted, but now all of a sudden everything is black and white. Have you noticed that? Every person in every article in every story has to be defined by the color of their skin. We have went from something that looked to be a good thing, colorblindness, to now if you say you're colorblind, you are racist because you don't recognize the beauty of the different colors of the skin. Now this social construct does not unite us, it divides us. And so the anti-racism group want to overcome so-called black inferiority, I don't call it that. They do, by replacing it with black superiority. They want to overcome white superiority by replacing it with white inferiority. Previously, black-skinned people were second-class citizens. Now, white-skinned people are. And if you have a problem with me saying black-skinned and white-skinned, then get over saying black and white or African-American or anything else because that's what we're drawing attention to. We're drawing attention to skin color. And if we just went around saying black-skinned and white-skinned all the time, maybe people would understand how foolish, ignorant, and unbiblical it is. (sighs) All right, I'll calm down for a minute here. Drives me, well, obviously this is where I'm trying to get away from my my hobby horse. Previously, black-skinned people were second-class citizens. Now white-skinned people are. Not only are they reversing racism, they are promoting racism. They're not getting away from racism. They are making us more racially focused than ever and leading to greater and greater racism by the old definition, Racial superiority, racial hatred, racial inferiority. That's an old definition. The new definition is far different. We'll talk about that in a future sermon. This will not lead to racial peace, but to a growing racial conflict. Third, it is a confusing distinction that is inconsistently applied and does not make sense of the way that the world is. Just think about it rationally for a minute consistently. The term African-American confuses distinctions. What is Africa? It's a continent made up of how many races? Depends. Now you're all confused. You should be. This is why it's confusing. Let me ask you this. It's made up of how many ethnicities? Made up of how many tribes or clans, but they're called tribes in Africa. Now, it's not a disparaging term. Just talk to all the tribes in Nigeria with different languages and different people groups and a different culture and wonder why Nigeria fights all the time inside the nation, of warring tribes, of people with exactly the same or variation of the same skin color. But an African American, what is an American? How many ethnicities or how many races, if you want to use that old term, are there in America? But America is not an ethnic group, is it? It's not a race. America is a nation. So how do we have a national group connected to a continental group made up of all kinds of ethnicities in both places? That term makes no sense. What's the opposite of African American? If you're not an African-American, what are you? A white American. What is a white American? Well, someone who's not African-American. But understand the craziness of how this works. Africa is a nation made up of over 2,000 languages, 2,000 tribes. That's why they're doing the work in Africa is so that those tribes can hear the gospel in their own language because they don't necessarily get along too well amongst themselves. They fight and kill each other. Have you not heard of the genocides and, and, the, and the wars that have been fought? Well, some people want to use the term European-American because we can't say white-American. That doesn't sound right. European-American. Well, let me ask you, how long have the French and English been at war? I mean, they're all white, right? I think I remember, if I, my memory serves right, they had 100 years of war between France and England. So far for all the race getting along. Well, what about the uh, Germans and the Russians? They've been best of friends for years because they all have the same skin color, right? No, millions, atrocities, especially. Look at World War II. The hatred and animosity between these different ethnic groups of different languages and different lands. And what happened in Yugoslavia? Yugoslavia? They were one nation, made up of different tribes of people with different languages, different cultures, and when the national government broke down, what happened between the Serbs and the Croats and, and all of those people? They killed each other in atrocious ways, though they all had the same skin color. Can you not understand the, the, the point? Now, I could talk about Asian and how much the Japanese and Chinese love to get to, along together and study World War II history between those people of supposedly the same race. How about Koreans and Vietnamese, and go down the list. What about Hispanics? Latinos, as people want to say. Just because they speak one language, do they all get along? Do not confuse a Puerto Rican with a Cuban. Do not confuse a Panamanian, even though she's not here this morning, with a Mexican. Everybody gets offended because they're not of the same ethnic group even though they speak even the same language. It doesn't help. It doesn't make any sense. Now, how do we build a biblical construct in three minutes? We don't, so hang in there. Anybody else want a drink? Anybody want to stand, stretch out? We've got a few more minutes to go. But better this than two sermons, okay? I'm doing my best to make it in one sermon so that you can hang in there You can stay with me. Next week it won't be so long, but I understand the difficulties. Okay. You say, yeah, right. (laughs) I almost promise that next week won't be so long. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that all mankind has one creator, God. There's one creator of all mankind. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the heavens, the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What's our takeaway? Therefore, every person, every human being, the way we use it today, but every person, person in mankind, every person in that group that God created, starting with Adam, with that one source, has equal dignity and equal worth as every person is made in the image of God, no matter their physical appearance, equal worth, equal dignity, image of God. Therefore, anything termed racism filtered through a biblical worldview that says hatred, Inferiority, superiority, division, separateness because of physical characteristics is sin. It's sin. And if you harbor that kind of hatred or superiority in your heart or you use that against others when it's not true, that is sin. Everybody understand? Have we made ourselves clear? Secondly, all mankind has one human father. Our commonality in creation Causes us to bear the image of God, and that unites us as one humanity. And in that one humanity, all mankind, all humanity has one human father, Adam. Romans 5:12. "Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned and understood here in Adam. Because of our common humanity and our common creation in the one common origin, Adam, every person is a sinner. Born with a sin nature, equally capable of committing every sin and under the just condemnation of God. We are all condemned together every ethnic group, because we all come from Adam and we all sinned in Adam and we are all sinners and we deserve God's just condemnation. just condemnation. And because we are sinners, there is no sin that no one from any ethnic group with any skin color cannot commit. We're all sinners, equally under the just condemnation of God. And what's interesting is that what unites us is our shared sinful heart condition. But the same thing that unites us, our heart condition of wickedness, is the same thing that divides us. Why are we so divided over anything? Because of the sin that resides in our hearts. Our individual hearts are wicked, and therefore individually, and then therefore we get other individuals together, and as groups, we sin against each other. It's the wickedness in our heart. We share that in common. And that's the very commonality that divides us over these issues. Our problem is not skin deep. It is to the heart. It is to the core. And therefore, our solutions cannot be skin deep. Our problem goes all the way to the core of who we are. And therefore, the only solution for the problems of our world, of all kinds, is a new heart for new individuals. And who provides that? God does. All mankind has how many saviors? One savior. And what's his name? Jesus Christ, Romans 5 again, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's trespass, led to condemnation for all men, all are sinners, so one act of righteousness, Jesus' perfect life, and death on the cross, leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous, What's our takeaway? Therefore, every person will only be made righteous by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we have five different races from five different origins, who sinned in Adam? Well, it would be great to figure out which race came from Adam, wouldn't it? Because only those who died in Adam spiritually can be made alive through Christ spiritually. Which means if there's five different origins of five different uh, races, then we need five different saviors, and anyone outside the group of saving cannot be saved through Christ. This destroys the gospel. Which is why some would promote the fact, hundreds of years ago, no one would do it today, that those who did not look like us, and did not have our racial characteristics, could never be saved because they were outside the race of Adam, and therefore outside the work of Christ. Do you hear how this destroys the gospel? And only that by saying one common humanity, one common humanity leads to all our sinners, leads to all can be saved through Christ alone, and we can preach the gospel to people who look like anything. Honestly, truthfully, lovingly, passionately. It's the only solution. It's it. It's all we have. That's what the Bible has taught for 2,000 years, and those who don't take the Bible seriously or preach the Bible seriously will not come up with heart solutions. They'll try to come up with skin solutions. And their solutions are surface level, skin deep, and it will never work. And we'll talk about that starting with racial reconciliation next week and how wrong that term is and how it's been misapplied in evangelicalism. And if you want to prepare for that, just go into YouTube and put racial reconciliation evangelical and see the thousands of sermons, hundreds of sermons, maybe it'll pop up and you'll see most of them, not all of them, wrong on that issue, which is why I'm talking about this today. And I'm sure you will I'll get it exactly right next week. Come back and see if I do. What Billy Graham said is this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't usually quote Billy Graham but I remember that quote and I didn't know who said it so I looked it up. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and, and what he meant by that most of the time was that all of us are sinners but I'll apply that to skin color or to any other ungodly, unbiblical definition you want to use. Every person who comes to Jesus Christ recognizing that they are a sinner to their core and trusting in him to save them because of his perfect life and his death on the cross will be saved. Every person. And that's the message we preach to all the nations, all the ethnos, every ethnicity we preach that message to. Praise God. Letter D, all distinctions. Now, some distinctions are God-given. I've talked about some of those. I didn't talk about every distinction. So male and female is also a God-given distinction, but I didn't have time. But there's also man-made distinctions. But all distinctions are eliminated as the basis for our fundamental and primary identification. How do we identify, self-identify? How do you describe yourself? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 3 that those other distinctions are done away with in the church, in the cross, in Christ. So what does Paul say to the Colossians? Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There's an old self, and that old self wants to do sinful distinctions, but there's a new self. And in that new self that has taken on the the knowledge of God, here there is not Greek and Jew, Greek and Gentile, a God-given distinction, circumcised and uncircumcised, a God-given distinction, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We are all Christians. We are all in Christ, and every other distinction is done away with. Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Every person by faith becomes a child of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are in Christ, have put on Christ, a Christian, then there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ, because you are all of Christ. Therefore, here's the takeaway, there is no place for an ethnic, cultural, national, economic, or gender focus for our, our identity, either for pride or prejudice, hatred or harmony. When we take those distinctions that God says through Paul don't apply anymore and we highlight them as reasons to divide or even reasons to unite, we are being unbiblical. Do you want to have a Gentile church and a Jew church? A Jewish church? Read Galatians. You want to have a male church and a female church? Read Galatians. You want to have a rich church and a poor church? Read Galatians. You want to have a slave church and a free church? Read Galatians. They're done away with in Christ. And so to continue to highlight our differences and divide as churches or as Christians over those kind of distinctions is wicked. It's unbiblical. It is sinful. It is wrong. Or if you want to say, hey, let's all just get together in harmony in these different groups, it's also wrong. Unbiblical. Unbiblical. Letter E, any highlighting of ethnic groups is to magnify God's faithfulness in keeping the Abrahamic covenant and Christ's worthiness because of his redemptive work. Multiple times in Revelation it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. Talking about Christ, the Lamb of God, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you see the distinction? And it continues on to the book of Revelation. But why did God repeatedly say that? Because he is highlighting the faithfulness in the Abrahamic covenant, which is Abraham's people would be a blessing to how many nations? All nations. That through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ, Christ would redeem people from every ethnic group around the world. And that's what he's highlighting. Ethnic distinctions are not emphasized in these passages in Revelation to magnify or glorify the ethnic distinctions as important. Will there be people of every skin color around the throne? Yes, there will be. So what? That's not the point of this. Therefore, all of the people of every skin color are going to break into groups of skin color around the throne, celebrate their skin color for eternity. Is that what this is saying? So we have to make sure that in this life, we celebrate every skin color as important and vital. We talk about skin color all the time because in heaven, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be around the throne saying, hey, black is beautiful. Hey, white is beautiful. Hey, black lives matter. Hey, white lives matter. Is that what we're going to be doing? Is that the point? And yet, there are pastors talking about the beauty of skin color and the beauty of ethnicity and the wonder of how we should elevate those differences inside the church, and that will bring us all together. God forbid. And if I had any courage, I would use a stronger form of that. But I'm not that courageous. God forbid. May it be anathema in this church and every other church. And therefore, to suggest that ethnic diversity is any part of the mission of the local church is abused when they use these scriptures. So every church need to have needs to have multiple ethnicities highlighted and encouraged. That's the that is what is being promoted. If you live anywhere with any ethnic diversity, your church must reflect the ethnic diversity of your, of your town, of your city, of your state, of your, of, your, of your surroundings. And if not, there must be some implicit hatred, superiority for why that's not true. All right, back on track. It will never get done. Here's the point. I am close to the end, amen. We must stop using the word race as much as possible. That's my challenge to you. Do not use the word race any longer. We must get back to the biblical term of ethnicity. Use ethnic, ethnicity every time. Why? Because it's the biblical term, and we should speak biblically at every chance we get. Avoid the word racism, and use the term ethnic hatred, ethnic superiority, ethnic vainglory. Those things are real. Those things are true. The Bible talks about those things. But we have to get the right term, and we have to speak of them correctly, biblically. Some usage might be necessary for the sake of conversation. If you start using these terms, there's going to be a lot of people who go like, huh, I have no idea what you're talking about. So you might have to use the word race just to help people understand what you're talking about. But when you do that, make sure you define your term and they define theirs because a lot of people use terms without knowing what in the world they mean by them. And you might not be talking about the same thing. Probably not. If you're going to speak biblically and they're not, you probably won't be talking about the same thing. A Christian should never classify people on the basis of a social construct. A Christian should never classify people on the basis of a social construct. May we get away from classifying people based on race, the five races, the three races, the six races, the two races. In America, there's supposedly only two races really that matter. And they are defined as black and white. And we should get away from those kind of distinctions altogether. We should never highlight skin color as a category for any reason. Now, it might be a helpful distinguisher when describing an individual. Same as height, weight, hair, hair color, age, etc. You know, so-and-so, what do you mean? I don't know who you're talking about. You know, so-and-so, they're really tall, they're really short, they're, they're, really, they're rather large, big-boned, as we like to say. Um, they, they have red hair. Is that wrong to distinguish people by those kind of physical descriptions? And so if you use skin color to help people recognize different people in a group, it makes a lot of sense. So if you're in a primarily black uh, location... And you had a friend who was of white skin color, it would be easiest to distinguish that person from everyone else by just saying one thing. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to distinguish. It's just a distinction. And so we can do that. I'm not trying to say never use those things at all. Um, But other than that, it has no helpfulness whatsoever. The solutions that are offered by race-focused Christians will only lead to greater and greater division. I know it's been long, and you guys are, some of you are still awake. Thank you. (laughs) Listen carefully that. The solutions that are offered by race-focused Christians will only lead to greater and greater division in the church. Every promotion of every sermon talking about everything having to do with race is dividing us more and more and more. And some people are promoting the idea that pastors should preach on this for weeks months and years until all racism is rooted out of the church. And any church that takes on that challenge of speaking about this from an unbiblical perspective, the opposite of what I'm talking about for weeks or months will not just divide the church. They will destroy the church. And that's the solutions that are being offered in a black and white world, in a world obsessed with skin color, the theological response will only be surface level. The solutions will only be skin deep, the reason that a cultural construct is used over a biblical term and category is that without it, they cannot make their race-based points. I heard a sermon in 2018 at the Together for the Gospel conference that I've attended more than once, say this, I would prefer to use the term ethnicity, but I will use the term Race. And the only reason that pastor did that is because every application would not fit within a biblical view of ethnicity. It only fit in a cultural construct of race. If we use the biblical term of ethnicity, it destroys the whole problem. Because you realize that people are not just divided into skin color. But when you make that the only division, you can't use biblical terms. It destroys it. So, In conclusion, unbeliever, if you're not a Christian here today, you say, what did I walk into? This is so crazy. But maybe it's so right on where we live, maybe it was helpful. Recognize that you are a sinner to your core and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin and give you a new heart. Without that, the anger, the hatred, the pride, the prejudice, whatever it is in your heart will never be done away with with any worldly solution. Only in Christ do we have the answers for our sin in our heart. And Christian, repent of all hatred and pride and ask God to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you have been proud based upon physical characteristics of any kind, but especially skin color, if you have hated or had prejudice because of skin color for any reason, repent, reject, hate it, ask God to cleanse you and change you. Father, do this work in us today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.